Okay. Uh, John is uh, visiting his uh, church that he uh, preached as a young uh, uh, youth minister in Wood River, Illinois this weekend. The church is having a homecoming, and so John is, was asked to come back to that and celebrate with the homecoming, and we are grateful to be able to support John in that, and it would be a great opportunity for him to visit some old friends and, and, uh, and just be together to, uh, to today. And speaking of old friends, for some of you this might have some value, but today is the first day in over 50 years that my entire family, Jenny, me, Kate, and Carrie, will be here today. They, You know, it's it's a strange story when you look across the street and you see that parsonage over there, and we the girls from over there, and and uh, uh, Kate came down from Chicago to do some uh, legal paper signing and living trust and so forth, and and uh, and the girls connived, and uh, Carrie came in from Portland and flew in Chicago and came down. So it was total surprise to Jenny and I. We, we were still trying to think, are these girls really in this house? <laughs> so it was, a, it was a great trip. And they're planning to be here at 10 o'clock, so when you leave and the preacher shuts up, that you can, those of you that know them, can catch them on the way out and, and they'll be at the second service. Okay, uh, let's begin here this morning, and I've got some things here to share with you on our message. We're continuing in the book of Romans, and I didn't mention this uh, during the announcement time. We do have some more of these little uh, journals, little book of Roman journals, and they've got some note pages in there. I don't know about you, but uh, one of the things that we've been doing with this study, of, the, of what we, did, we did differently this study than we did the first Peter study, is that uh, uh, the guys on the staff, the preaching guys said, we just went so fast through that, we covered so many 60,000 views 60,000 feet up there. We wanted to come in more uh, concentrated in more detail. And if you're like me, we've already, I've filled, I've way past filled my blank pages and, uh, and just taking notes. But we started in the book of Romans a couple of weeks ago, and John did an introductory, and then he did his first portion, and then last week he did. And, and if you have your journals, and if you have your Bibles, you can open up there to the first chapter. And we can look at, uh, I want to point your attention to the, the, the two verses uh, that John looked at last Sunday, and which becomes Romans 1, 16 and 17. And Romans 1, 16 and 17, if you have a pencil or some marking tool, something like that, uh, uh, pen, that, those verses, and, and in this journal, it's kind of separated in there. And the reason why I bring that out to you, because we're going to learn something from the book of Romans, 16 and 17 become uh, sort of the key the key verse that unlocks, that hooks foundationally the entire book. And that verse 16 and 17 becomes that key right there as Paul un, un, uh, unfolds the, uh, the book of Romans here to us. And, um, and so that verse right there is where I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the power of God and salvation. Everyone who believes to the Jew first and also the Greek for the gospel of righteousness from God is revealed from faith to faith. It is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And uh, this, so this, this is, the, is, the, is the shooting off point here for the whole book, is coming, into, coming to terms with grace in Christ and coming to terms with that. And John preached a great sermon last week, and, and 
uh, and he talks about the righteousness of God and, the, and that Jesus goes to the cross, as Josh said so well in his communion thoughts this morning, Jesus goes to the cross so that and pays the price. He does a double dip price there of cleaning us up on the cross of Christ and living righteously, perfectly, and then going to the cross and then paying the cross for a deed of sins of which he did not commit, which he loaded our sins on, so that God, Paul says later in Corinthians, that we become the righteousness of God ourselves. And you've got to think about that one just a little bit because you know who you live with. But becomes the righteousness of God ourselves. Okay, so th- this, this becomes a really uh, a key part here. And, and that last little phrase there, the righteous shall live by faith, through guidance of the Holy Spirit, Paul plucks that all the way back out of the Old Testament, 616 years before Christ. He pulls out from Habakkuk that statement. Becomes a very foundational statement. We're going to come with, as we close here just this morning, we're going to come back to that statement. Now, if you are, um, um, I, I suppose most of us here have had this experience at some time or another, <clears throat> uh, or even maybe all of us have. If you go to a jewelry store and uh, you walk in and uh, um, jewelry stores are always quiet. But you walk in, and uh, someone comes up, and there's a glass counter there. And if you're looking at the jewels, and you decide, I think I'm going to pick uh, uh, what, what I'm going to look at. Maybe you look at a, maybe a diamond or maybe a, a sapphire or something, and you, you want to look at it. What do they do? They usually get a bunch of keys, and they unlock the door, and they make sure, is this the one you want? Uh, so you won't grab and run. <laughs> and so they pick it out, and they clock it back up again, and they lay it out there. And then what's the next thing they do? They grab a piece of black velvet and they lay it on there and then they lay the jewel down there on that black velvet and they get it right underneath the light so you can just see it sparkle through. So you can see everything and everything that's beautiful about the brilliance of this, all the cuts of the stone. Now Paul does something just like that as we open up what I'm I'm calling this section here this morning. In fact, this section is called the indictment. First count. Now, this morning, I'm just covering 18 through 25 of the indictment. Now, just for the record, uh, I'm going to read the rest of Romans, first chapter 1. The entire indictment goes further than 25. The entire indictment of Romans is 18th verse of chapter 1 to the 20th verse of chapter 3. That's a long indictment. I don't know if anybody in this room has ever been indicted. I don't personally want to be. But you have been, and I have been, in this book in those three chapters. After he lays down that key verse about righteousness of God being imputed to us through faith, by the faith walk, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolishness of their hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images that resemble mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For, their, for this reason, God gave them up. That's three times. That's second time says there. To the dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. And there's just some strange ones in here. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, Disobedience to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteousness decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And then it goes on through chapter 2 and chapter 3. And then it wraps up and gives the... This, the, the they answered the solution. Now, in reading this here, it almost like a police blotter. It's sort of the dark velvet that Paul lays down the righteousness of 16 to 17 on. In order to see the true, what it means, what true righteousness means, and righteous living and purity means, he lays that right down there on top of that velvet, that black velvet, and then turns the switch on. So, a couple definitions here. What is the wrath of God? Now, there's some words we need to get a hold of in this and understand some words in this. First one here is, is orge, and it means a settled, controlled, determined anger against sin. Another word that is used more often in the book of Revelation, when he talks about God's anger, is thumos, where we get our word thermos, and it means externally expressed acts against sin. One person kind of made this analogy. 
The anger of God in this, this structure is like a volcano. And the pressure of the volcano is constantly building and building and building and building. And that is the orge. And then finally the orge explodes into themos, which is an expression of action of wrath. Now be careful when you read this section that you understand that he is saying here, this orge wrath, is God has a deep dislike against this, against sin. And, and, and so he's eternally, from the Garden of Eden, he was in the same attitude. Not just in Romans, but from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve decided to do it their way. That's always there. Next slide. There's two other words here that are rather important as we push, put this all together this morning. Is the word gar and the word apkaluko. Op, 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 That's not quite right. Apkaluko. Apkaluko is where we get apocalypse and where we get uh, um, uh, last days, apocalyptic language, and, uh, and that type of thing. And the idea is, is, is it means to, to reveal, uncover, or not fake. Now, when, you, when I read that little first 16 to 17 verse to you, there's two things there. And if you, if you have your journals or if you have your Bibles, you, you can mark in your Bibles. And it says there, in that first chapter, it says, Paul starts out in verse 16, if you remember back, for I am unashamed. And then he goes and he says, revealed from faith to faith. And then verse 18 says, for the wrath of God. So for, when Greek writers write, they'd write gar, which would connect. It's like, therefore. Connect, connect, connected. So the righteousness of Christ imputed to us must be understood in the relationship of sin. If we don't, and remember, those words, those horrible blotter of atrocities that you read through that first verses from 18 to 32, that's the same author that gave us, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. That whoever shall believe in him shall have eternal life. Now you'll see that in the football stadiums in John 16, 3, 16. But you won't see John 3, 18. Which in alignment with Romans 18 to 32. So let's take a look at a couple other things here. What is God's wrath against? What is his wrath against? And he says here in these first few chapters, he says, for the wrath of God revealed, both 17 and 18 revealed her, from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Some of your translations may say ungodliness and wickedness of men. The in, in, English standards you're using in this says uh, unrighteousness. My NIV says wickedness. Here's a couple of things to get hold of there. Godlessness just means I don't want God. Excuse me? I, I'm not into the God. God doesn't exist. He's not there. He doesn't count. Just, this is just all just natural selection. This is just one big boom accident. 
That's how we got here. There's no God in the picture. So he's against his wrath, his frustration is against those that blew him off. The next thing he's against is unrighteousness. That's why they translate that wickedness. The idea is it's not just there's no God, but I am not going to live like there is a God. I will say any dirty word that I want to say <laughs> and prove that there's no God. I will dress any way I want to dress because I'm making the statement there's no God. So it's that deep deal. Is, and you ever wonder why people are so bullheaded about demonstrating there's no God when there's no God? Okay. So, and then the, he's also, he says in that very same section, against the righteous and those, uh, their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Suppressing the truth. Hold back or covering up truth. All right, so we'll go to the next slide there. Suppression of truth, 18 through 20. Next slide. Oh, back, back up one. There, okay. Suppression of God's revealed truth. In this section of Romans, it opens up two revelations of God. The first revelation of God, that which revealing information, the, that's the word I was trying to think, the, the last book in the Bible, Revelation, is Apocalypse. You put your finger in your pocket, and it means in Greek, reveal, hide. What he's saying here is there's natural revelation and there's supernatural revelation. Natural revelation is the creation of the world around us. Supernatural revelation is this. It's information divulged and given to us by God through His will. This is natural and super. And the reason why that plays in here, because as you open two and three chapters up here, one, two, and three, he talks about natural revelation to the Greek world. And Paul uses this several times in, in discussions when he's defending the faith or trying to bring people to Christ. And that's why it's really good to be sharp about the natural revelation and not to be afraid of true science. Not fake science, but true science. Not covered up science, but revealed science in the light. And so in their supernatural revelation, then is God's word. So this section this morning... We're going to be looking at it, and what John and Sean are going to be unraveling as we go through this is that more of the, uh, and he talks about the, the revelation to the Gentiles, to the supernatural, revelation to the moralists, and revelation to those that had the Old Testament word of God. Nobody slips out of this indictment. Get in the picture. And you may not think there's a God, you don't get out. You may be thumbing your nose to God, you're not getting out. You may be a really nice person, you're not getting out. 
You may be a churchgoer for all your life. You're not getting out. This is a tight indictment. Okay, next one. Suppression of truth. All right, so I've got a couple of things here we're going to look at on the suppression of truth. I came across this. You, you can get these online real quickly. Uh, a few years back, uh, some of you, the name makes, there's a lot of material out there. And Christians, we really don't know much about it. But Lee Strobel uh, did a case for Christ. And this one is a case for creation. And uh, Lee is, was uh, on staff at, uh, uh, I don't know if it was Chicago Sun or whatever, one of the big papers in Chicago. And he, he, he was a non-believing atheist. He was godless and, uh, in his own words. And he was unrighteous. And then he got messed up because his wife began looking at God's design. And one thing led to another. And then you know how it is when you've got to live with someone that doesn't think you're wonderful and right. And so he says, I'm going to show her how dumb she really is. And he found God. A lot of good wives do that. And one of his opening uh, sections here, he talks about, in, in fact, it was 2000, I want to say it's 2009, that uh, PBS, which you and I will chunk in some money for, PBS did a uh, program which was on the uh, all scientific, and he called it all scientific evidence support Darwin's evolution, as does virtually every reputable scientist in the world. Well, you can't argue with that. It's on TV and on the Internet. But what did not make the news after their, their, uh, their series, the nine-part series, was over, that a team of over 100 biologists, chemists, zoologists, physicists, anthropologists, molecular, cellular, biologists, bioengineers, organic chemists, geologists, astrophysicists, from an assortment of other doctors and with doctorates in prestige, Cambridge, Stanford, Cornell, Yale, Rutgers, Chicago, Princeton, Purdue, Duke, Duke Michigan, Syracuse, Temple, Berkeley, Graduate School of, of Technology, True Lane, Rice, Emory, George Mason, Lehigh, University of California, Washington State, Florida. Oh, it goes. But it says, that he, they went on to say to their, he says, they put out a full-page publication and then, and then writ, uh, put together a 151-page critique claiming your broadcast failed to, to present accurately and fairly the scientific problems with the evidence from Darwinian evolution and even systematically ignored in disagreement among evolutionary biologists themselves. God is against suppression of truth. It's interesting to me that we just now, somebody told us there's such a thing as fake news. <laughs> Let's get a clue. It's been around for a long time. Okay, let's take a look at a couple other things here. Uh, now, these, what I'm going to show you here, some, some scientists call these things 
the uh, icons of evolution. They're just things that, just, that you were taught in school. I know I was taught in school, and they're just out there constantly. Let's take a look at a couple of these things. There's the Miller experiment. Now, uh, Harold Uri and Miller, they went together back in the late 50s, and, and they came up with, with this experiment, and this experiment was this. They were going to create life from nothing. And the theory is that the early Earth had a special atmosphere. And because of the special atmosphere, it had special water. And when the special water came together with the special atmosphere, there it was. Life. And this got big press. Now, the interesting thing about this, you can get this on the Internet any time, day, time or night you want. Plus, you can go send your kids to the library, and they can write their papers on this. But within 10 years or less, this was refuted. And after 20 years, this, they said they don't even go there anymore. Some scientists are saying, trying to do this kind of experiment, even if you created a cell life and make it live and reproduce, it'd be like saying, I'm going to make this pen keep going up. It won't do. It won't work. So that, that's not the pursuit that they're going to go. Uh, what, what this is, is I don't want God. I want my shot. Okay, let's take another one, look at another one here. This is Darwin's Tree of Life. This is a projected idea. There's no place in any kind of fossil record, geological record, that this is laid out that way. It doesn't exist. Now, that's not quite this pencil drawing that I looked at earlier, but, but this is how it's, it's, it's poofed up. Non-believing Chinese scientists. Say, this doesn't make sense. In fact, the Chinese scientists, they're not necessarily in any kind of religious camp, are saying, this whole idea is upside down. In fact, here's what they say. It's not a tree. This, the tree analogy is a bad analogy. It says, life coming up looks more like blades of grass. Each one created, 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 created. One scientist says, to believe in that, it's like looking at a 100-yard football field and starting at the end zone, walk the whole field, and when you get to the 16-yard line, Boom, there's life form in geographic layers. Like someone might have said, let there be life. Let's take another look at another one here. Hegel's embryos. Now, I've remembered this a man in my science books. 
The idea here is that we're trying to show that since it was natural uh, selection, is that we all kind of came from the same tree root because we we're all linked together, and then we had these little variations that came out that separate us, and then the monkeys, and then the apes, and then men. Do you know that a parrot can speak 400 words? Monkeys can't speak anything. Dogs can follow hand language, and monkeys can't. Now, it's not weird that we have similar DNA carbon creatures because we do all eat monkeys, eat bananas, and I had one this morning. God is really good at making things work together, economically wise. But here on Hegel's embryos, the first one's a salamander, the next one's human. Look how close we are to a salamander. A rabbit, a chicken, and a fish. And then this is the development of them. And then you can't see this, but up in here, it's got the little arrows pointing at gills. Because we can come out of that swamp. You're starting for air, and you had to get some air. So you, you've made gills. But when this first rolled up by Hegel, his students, as well as fellow professors, said, he drew it. And they are not in early embryo stage. They're mixed embryo stages. And he doctored them up. And they, there's this, you can read that he messed with this. And gills? Give me a gill here. British embryologist Lewis Wolpert said, fish gills do not come in early stages. And the gill that he points out was a gill in a human being. The embryologist says, that's because babies' heads are heavier than the rest of their body, even at a very early stage, and that is a creak in his neck. So the idea here is, it says, and, and also what's amazing, this picture appeared in textbooks as late as 1999 as official truth. Another one here is, uh, is uh, next slide here, the Archaeopithecus. <laughs> this is the missing link, in case you want to know. This came out two years after Darwin's Origin of Species. And uh, we have another picture of it. An artist drew it. Really looks like a good dinosaur there. You got, and there's thousands of pictures of artists' creation. And the problem is, what on, on, on this particular one, the missing link, evolutionary uh, Pierre Lecomte said, an animal displaying characteristics belonging to two different groups cannot be treated as true links belonging to two different uh, same animals. They're, they're not connected. In fact, the geological timetable totally upsets this whole idea that this is a missing link. In fact, the scientists today say, what is this? It's a bird. And it's always been a bird. It's never been anything else. And one more here is this one here is the uh, Java man. And the Java man here 
this was also the first Homo erectus. This was showing that the transition really took place between ape and man. And uh, so I'll give you another picture of the Java man. That's the Java man. That is the only picture of the Java man. That is the only evidence of the Java man. It's a skull cap and a thigh bone, and there's a couple of teeth there. Research today, scientific world says that the crew that put that together did not find it in the same place. It wasn't even close to the same place. And there's, there's scientists now that says that skull cap could have been any one of your skull caps. Fake news has been around for a while. It's been around for a while because the same way we've learned more and more that people have ulterior motives. And the missing links that can pop up like this are manufactured missing links. Read carefully. Be patient. Okay. So that's the suppression of truth. Again, Paul says here in this text, But let's move on to a couple of this. Let's move on to the next section here. The exchange of truth. 21 through 25. Give me 21 here. For although they knew God, they did not honor him. Now, now I didn't bring this out. Time is permit, but it's twice here in this section. It says, the truth of God was known. So God puts a lot of weight on natural revelation. But if you take a preconceived idea, I don't want God, I want to do my own thing, you put on a set of lenses and you'll never see truth. For although they knew God, they didn't honor Him or give Him thanks, but because they fooled in their own thinking, their foolish hearts were darkened and claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for immortal images birds, animals, and creeping things. And, gave, and so God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to iniquity and to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and served the creature rather than the creator. Take a look at another one here. Exchanging for, uh, for a lie. Romans says, so let's go to the next slide. Here's someone you might know. Maybe your neighbor, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he'd like to be your neighbor. This is Mr. Putin, probably same place you were on Easter Sunday. He's in church, contemplating something. He's in church. Some people have said some of the dastric lies could ever be propagated is propagated through the church. But you know, when we see God's creation and we sense there's a God and there's somebody I want to connect to, but I don't want to submit to those for God to be the boss of my life. I'll create a God that I can make a boss that I like. I don't know about you, but uh, some of you here have lived through these things. Uh, I've lived through... 
I haven't lived through the New Deal. I was on the back end of the New Deal. Some of you lived through the Fair Deal. Some of you lived through the New Society. Some of you lived through the New Frontier. Some of you lived through Peace with Honor. Some of you lived through Detente. Some of you lived with the city on a hill. Some of you lived Make America Great Again. And some of us are living now Build Back Better. He's got a deal. He's got a real deal for Ukraine. Next slide. Maybe you know this guy. Maybe you drive one of his cars. There's old Elon Musk. He's contemplating. Now, what you can't quite read on this is Babylon B down below there. Babylon B is a Christian sarc sort of a sarcasm, satire um, show run by Christian ministers. And guess who was watching? Elon, the richest man in the world. SpaceX, Tesla, New Rocks, the brain company he's working on now. in the trillions of dollars. And so he responded to one of their broadcasts. They do broadcasts like this. Let me see. We just spent $40 billion to send an aircraft spaceship module to Mars. So if for, for the purpose, sole purpose, of trying to find evidence of life in some kind of molecule. And if we find that molecule just a molecule, we will say across our papers, we find life on Mars. Then Babylon B comes back. But we can't determine what life in the womb is. And Elon wondered about that. So he came on the show, and this question, frozen here, was they asked him, Elon, what do you think of Jesus? You've heard about Elon recently. He's mixed up in that Johnny Depp stuff. It's, well, it's not Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp's wife stuff. I won't go there. Okay. That's what Paul says. The lust of their hearts, their impurity, dishonored their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Okay, let me do a wrap-up very quick. Came across this in Christian Standard. The title of this uh, section was called The Crumbling Christian Community. The Crumbling Christian Community. And so what they decided, one of the, one of the research, research here, this is a Pew Research Foundation research, not a Christian organization. They decided that they were going to, what, what, what can we do as a church? What, we can, what can we do as a nation? They did some polling, like some polling like this. You think America is really great? Here's one thing. 60% of all Americans think members of the other party constitute a threat to America. Here's a striking one. 40% of every party thinks that the other party is evil. And get this one. 20% of... Uh, 
Where's there? Twenty percent of uh, all Democrats think that uh, that that Republicans should die, and sixty percent of all Republicans think Democrats should die. An article is, we're divided people. And, and, and you've, you've heard the thing, the commentaries about how we fight each other and, and how people are so short-tempered and, and they're so explosive and, 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 and there's not unity and there's not togetherness and there's not direction and there's not purpose. So they went back and they did some, did some reading and they came across a reading by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a preacher that was killed just a few days before the end of the war by personal order of Adolf Hitler. And the German public were, were in the streets. Their children were running their fingers through the garbage cans and licking them for just a little substance to live by. That's a broken society. Bonhoeffer says this, even when sin and misunderstanding burden the common life, is it not the one who sins still a person with whom I too stand under the word of Christ? And asked, Bonhoeffer asked, will not another Christian's sin be an occasion for, for even me, even under a new give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God in Christ Jesus? Therefore will not the very moment of great disillusion with my brother and sister be incompatible, wholesome, Wholesome for me because it is so thoroughly teaches me that we both, and he says this here, we are both in need of the word and the forgiveness of Christ because we're sinners. You can't love somebody unless you come to terms with your own sin. You can make a tremendous, the battles we battle with each other is because we can't come to terms with sin. We can't admit it. We can't confess it. We can't reveal it. We suppress the truth. These two dudes, the great lies. Next slide there. Remember that verse of scripture in that key verse? The righteous shall live by faith. Old Testament prophet. Last verse. Slide right there. This is what Jeremiah said. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what you produce. For I know how I plan for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope. When Paul reached and grabbed a hold of that, the righteous live by faith, because what, what, was, what, was, what was he really, what was his situation at that time? Back it was seeing a big powerful nation coming down from the north that was going to pound them. And they did. And they packed him up and they took him to slavery. I thought it was interesting that there were some rumors that Putin was taking Ukrainians back to Russia when he captured towns. That's as old as biblical history. How are we going to do this, folks? We're going to come to terms with our sin. And the righteous take a step by faith every day and live for Christ. That's how we're going to do it.
That's how you're going to do it in your homes, in your marriages, and with your children. The righteous live by faith, trusting the righteousness of Christ given to us through the cross of Jesus. Let's pray. Precious Father, we are stiff-necked people. Lord, we're, we play so many games with ourselves, tell ourselves so many tales. And God, you speak to so many hearts. You speak to our heart. You speak to our heart this morning. You reveal yourself in the world around us. God, help us to understand this Christian community that we come to on Sunday morning is an unbelievable blessing for our lives in this world. This is the hope of the world. This is the community of Christ. There is no other place to look. The powerful try it their way. The wealthy try it their way. God, help us as parents and grandparents this morning to stand strong and walk by faith. In Christ's name, amen.